Hi everyone, welcome back to the Half of It podcast with Steph. This is episode number four. Today I'm going to talk about severe autism, what that looks like, and what that means. So severe autism, it's kind of tricky, the topic. Um, When you have a child who is mildly affected by autism, I think it's easier to make sense of it. Um, Like the little quirks, little differences are attributed to mild autism, right? And I think some of the confusion, though, as far as severe autism um, kind of stems with the interpretation that caregivers' parents take from professionals sometimes. So professionals will often um, use language that uh, reflects measurement from mild to severe, mild, moderate, severe, or um, high-functioning, low-functioning But I think it's important for parents to realize that um, it's it's what's observable and what's testable that all of this is based off of. So it doesn't mean, well, to me, it doesn't mean that it's a a 100% accurate thing. I have a son who is severely affected by his autism, I like to say. Um, He is nonverbal. That's my Gabe. He's 12. He's nonverbal and he doesn't really care about societal rules, norms. Um, He doesn't, you know, um, he doesn't really care about the purpose that society gives to things when I say uh, societal norms. And we as humans are taught to respect those norms and to go with them and for good cause. But he doesn't, you know, that social piece he struggles with. Um, And that also affects his, you know, actual wearing of clothing or it affected toilet training when he was younger. It affects currently how he eats food if he uses his hands instead of his utensils so that all plays a huge role but I think what we forget because it could get messy to the onlooker the situation could be very messy like if you're having toileting accidents it could be very messy of course (laughs) obviously if you're having um to teach your child to use utensils like mine, who's still working on it and he's 12, it can be very messy and just disturb a public situation, you know? Um, So severe autism for us is the challenges that Gabe faces in understanding societal norms and abiding by them. The second part of that is communication. And just, um, I think this goes across the board for kids with autism. 
that struggle to some degree with communication, whether they're nonverbal or verbal, but just the rules of uh, conversation and language and use of of words. Um, I know that many of the kids that are on the spectrum tend to not um, tend to use people in their environment to help to attain things that are maybe needed or preferred. So it's often a struggle to get them to just engage in communication if it's not something that has purposeful meaning to them, which needs do. That's our fundamental basic thing, right? We need something to drink, need something to eat, need to go to the bathroom, need, you know. Um, but Gabriel, he is, it, he's full of challenges in that his severe autism makes it difficult for him to desire to communicate with other people, to desire to continue to work at improving his motor skills to accurately tap on a device and get it to make sound for him and to relay the message to another person. Um, He's getting a lot better. He's come a long way, but some of his physical limitations don't help his challenges with autism for, you know, just in a nutshell. Gabriel's severe autism is just that. It's it's something that he has. And I, I, I like to separate it from the child because I feel like all kids are kids first. And when we think like that about them, it makes teaching them much more um, sustainable, um, doable. It makes believing in them easier. It makes holding on to hope in their potential so much easier to do. And so I think it's really tricky in that when we get our kids diagnosed and, you know, if there's somebody like Gabe and they're, they've got all these challenges going on, it's easy to assume that they're not cognitively there. They're like way behind and they may be, you know, um, developmentally delayed, obviously, because all these skills that because of the autism, they haven't learned it. All skills to uh, they tie into other areas of development and you need to build those skills to develop right in, in different cognitive areas, too. So. I feel like the tests that our kids are given, though, are very, um, they don't reflect our kids' true potential. They might reflect a fraction of what they're capable of, or better yet, what they're willing to do or demonstrate during that time that they're taking a test. I know a lot of assessments, um... The ironic thing to me is that, like, in school, for example, you have an assessment done. You have somebody come in. Maybe they've observed the child throughout the year a few times. And then they sit down and 
expect your child to sit down and, you know, answer questions or perform on these tasks. And then those results are supposed to tell you where your child is cognitively. I don't, (laughs) I don't, and this is me personally, I don't really like standardized tests for typical developing children, um, let alone. And so for my son with autism, I don't really, I take it with a grain of salt now. I learned to do that because I know that for Gabriel and like many other people with autism, it takes a while to build a routine. It takes a while for him to warm up to somebody. And there's so many factors involved in that. He will not allow people into his space or his world if he doesn't feel comfortable, if he doesn't feel that they can be trusted, if he feels undignified by how they talk about him around him, which also indicates that he understands so much more than he can express. So when you look at my son's behaviors in association with any situation, they're pretty in line with what's going on. It doesn't really take a mastermind to uncover situations. And his reaction is very normal. It's just expressed in a nonverbal way. So anyhow, when you take all these factors, and even though he's severely affected by his autism, I strongly believe that his cognitive ability is far beyond what can ever be measured. And maybe one day he'll allow it. Maybe he'll say like, hey, let me just do this to get these guys out of my hair already. But um, that would be up to him. (laughs) Um, So I kind of feel like kids with severe autism get a bad rap in that their outward abilities or lack thereof are too commonly associated with their cognitive ability. And again, it could be accurate or pretty close to it, but I feel like most of the time we continue to see kids frustrated in their classrooms or at home or wherever it may be that they're trying to work on tasks because there's so much more going on internally, cognitively, than what they're able to convey to us. So with that said, um, you know, there's there's a couple little examples I have. Um, you know, you could think of people and put uh, throughout history figures already, um, some more current than others. But if you take somebody who is physically handicapped, and again, there's a difference between a handicap and a disability. Um, disability is the condition. Handicap is when somebody requires um, something such as a, 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 a physical assistance, like a crutch or a wheelchair. That's for another time. <laughs> as far as disability, if somebody has a handicap and they have a visible um, support that they're using, like somebody who's wheelchair bound, 
it's quite often that people would assume that, well, they wouldn't assume that, hey, this guy sitting in this wheelchair might be the smartest man on the earth, right? I think it's just human nature when you see um, inabilities physically to presume that upstairs cognitively it's pretty parallel to what you see and that's not right all the time I feel like it's very inaccurate most of the time and so unless somebody said hey did you know this is the smartest guy on the planet and they use this device to communicate and to let people know what they're thinking or design this and that you know you may never ever know that you couldn't know that if they couldn't express it to you right so I feel like so many of our kids with severe autism um, they kind of get stuck in a place of isolation and when they finally find their voice we hear stories about it we hear about how you know they remember the teacher that drilled them on the same thing over and over or you know they didn't people would talk over them and they remember the things that were said about them so I think it's really important for educators to be mindful of conversations, of how they approach students, what they say about them. And they should be doing this already, but just as another reminder, you know, and parents like we should be the first ones to provide that avenue of belief in our kids and just support for, you know, like Temple Grandin's famous saying different not less our children are more different they're even different when they're severely affected by their autism than the rest of the autism community um they are not less they just are different and that just has to resonate in such a way to really understand that because you know Gabe's over here making sounds and flapping and needing to touch things and dropping on the floor because he wasn't done processing something, um, you know, or is looking to fulfill a, a sensory need, a vestibular or proprioceptive sensory need that we only learn about our five senses, right? And then there's those other two areas that our kids are, f- <laughs> they are trying to regulate so often, we can see this and it can be so misinterpreted sorry and so I just feel like there's there's so many things that you could um miss when you're looking at the just observable part of a child with severe autism Now, another part of that is, you know, I know that everybody's really eager to get back into society. Well, a lot of people are. There's some that are more cautious than others. Um, I still believe it's, it's really important to be smart and safe for our kids' sake, especially because in my home, we have vulnerable children. We have Gabe, who also has epilepsy and my Elijah, who's uh, seven, he has asthma, seasonal asthma, but still, 
I don't want him to experience any nasty viruses, period. Um, and it's just, you know, that's, that's just kind of where we are on that. But, you know, social distancing is a real thing. So remembering to wash hands, teaching kids to wear masks and all that good stuff. But when you look at the severe kids, the kids with severe autism or that, again, are affected severely by their autism, they might be so, um, have such a severe challenge with sensory things that putting on a mask just might not be something that they can tolerate with where they're at at this point. Maybe down the line, maybe two weeks from now, who knows? But you know, you know your child best. You could try all you want, but if the purpose is, you know, for safety and then they can't do it, what does that mean for them? It really saddens me because, like, for Gabe, social outings were starting to be a really good thing for him. And they were baby step social outings, like, going to a splash park where he didn't really socialize with other kids, but he was around other kids. Um, and then I don't even know when those are really opening up and stuff. I know only some things are opening right now and there's still, you know, lots of precautions. So we're, we're doing as best as we can to provide him things from home still. Um, and then the other part is we would take him to the grocery store maybe and he'd help push the grocery cart he was doing really good at getting involved in that but we have to put a pause on that because he will not wear a mask he will not wear a mask it doesn't serve a purpose for him and just it's even if he wants to try it just becomes like um It gives him so much physical anxiety. He can't withstand having that material around his ear, over his mouth. It's too much for him. So he can't go. And same thing for, you know, building a routine of going to a restaurant, which was huge. It was a huge thing. He was doing so well with that. And we were getting to the point where we didn't need as many people going. And now... I mean, I have some ideas up my sleeve, but, (laughs) um, you know, we have to pause those things for him. I just feel like it's so unfortunate because it's, he's isolated always and even more so in the situation. And it's, it's the battle we've been fighting against since he was diagnosed. Um, the other part of that is, you know, there's groups out there that are doing their best to provide something for other parents, provide support. And, um, that's awesome. I just caution that, that care be taken. And it brings to mind, uh, you know, two factors that my son will probably never participate in something like that just because like, um, a splash party, if it's not really, routine if he's in a swimming pool he might try to strip down he's 12 what I know I'd be fine (laughs) I'd be fine but would you guys uh with the rest of the world would they be fine with his autism and that happening I mean I still even though I understand my son in him having severe autism and severe um limitations in social understanding 
I am still protecting everybody else from him. I'm protecting everybody else from him. And it sucks. It does sometimes. And I think, you know, with FAN, with the organization that I run, I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but I do my best to try to make events all-inclusive for kids with autism. And um, not to sound like... uh, a jerk or take anything away from other special needs populations but autism is one that is so complex so I usually make the events specifically for children with autism because there's so much that we have to provide for to accommodate and to actually really provide supports that are meaningful to make an experience out of it for everybody like my son My little ones enjoy everything. My younger son with autism, he enjoys the events at hand. But Gabe, I'm not always certain if he enjoys the event. But I know he enjoys being there around everybody and being included. I know he enjoys that. I see the smile on his face. He tells me with his eyes. It's like, for all of you nonverbal parents out there, parents of children that are nonverbal, you totally understand what I'm talking about when I say I could, it says it all over his face. I could see it. I could feel it. I forget that he doesn't have words like everybody else. And even still, I kind of feel like he gets the, sorry, shit, end of the stick. (laughs) He does because... I'm creating this for everybody else. I'm creating it for what I wish was there for him. And still, he doesn't always gravitate towards it. He doesn't always participate. And sometimes I have to think ahead and say, is this something that he'd really want to do? Or is it just something that I want for him to want to do? So it's a lot of... It's, it's hard. It's a lot to process myself and to think about um, and just the fact that so many parents of children that are severely affected by autism don't go out to the events. And I understand. I, I don't like that we have to feel that way, but I 100% understand And that's something that's built for providing supports and accommodations for our kids. Now, maybe it's easier to understand in hearing this when we don't go to an invite at families' houses or something that other people don't understand. Why don't you just get up and go? For us... It's autism first, and then after autism, it's, um, well, epilepsy, of course, it's more, that's more situational, but it's the autism, and then, um, and it's Gabriel's severe autism, the unpredictability of it, what might set him off, what is the point of investing your energy and time in something that they might not like, that might upset them, that might set them off and just end the day, you know? Um, I think that's the, the hard part of having people that 
have their kids there with autism at these events that can participate, that enjoy participating, so they don't really, really understand what it's like to have this brand of autism, you know? Um, And that's not saying that it's anybody's fault at all, but it's just the reality of what it's like for parents of children with severe autism. If you don't have all your ducks in a row, really, it will all fall apart. You can't just give them a high five and it's all better. You can't just have a little bag of M&Ms ready and we're good to go. It doesn't necessarily work like that. And then if you don't get out there and participate and try, then you won't ever find out what does work. So it's a double-edged sword. It really is. It's craziness. I like to say that with Gabe, I've mustered up strength. And even when my husband hasn't been able to do that with me, I'm like, okay, take the other kids. I'm doing this. And I've tried and I failed miserably several times. And I've also come back from events and been like, that was not special needs friendly because the not my special needs friendly, not, not accommodating for my child. And I thought it was. And so it's taught me a lot about how to make things available for him. Um, And I feel really confident in when we do events um, or we set him up to do stuff. We're at this point now that he's 12, mind you, where we could finally feel a little more comfortable getting involved with things. And when he was little, it was... You know, he's a big boy. He has always been a bigger boy for his age. So when he was little, we did it until we couldn't carry him physically out wailing and screaming anymore. So there was a big gap where it was just school and therapy, school and therapy. That's it. You know, maybe the park here and there. But the severity of his autism played a huge role in in what he got to do and what we were willing to put him or subject him to and the energy that we were willing to expend. And this is coming from a parent who absolutely adores her child and would do anything for him. And it was at my wit's end that I, I, you know, of pure energy exhaustion that I had to say no to many things. So I can imagine somebody who doesn't, you know, who's maybe not as strong in their, um, in their effort to make something happen for their kid for whatever reasons, no judgment whatsoever, how much more isolating a child with severe autism could experience life, um, so anyhow, I think like of, I think of the, one of our, our friends had a, a group where they were, um, and this was a few years ago, they were getting together and they went to a trampoline park and it seemed cool and everything. But in my head, you know, I had to think, okay, when can Gabe keep his shoes on? Because if he takes them off, then he's going to disrobe. 
and we won't he'll be running around the place naked right so how do we do this you know so just back then it really again taught me that I needed to think outside of the box for him and still find a way and and I commend all those parents out there of all special needs children specifically of those right now with severe autism children with severe autism because it takes so much planning it takes so much effort and energy to do anything normal things that other people even some other parents of children with different flavors of autism can easily take for granted and again no judgment but it's just the reality of the of the situation so <clears throat> I just wanted to end this by saying that severe autism, you know, I I get it. It's different than other flavors of autism. It's different than mildly affected by autism. Severe autism, I don't feel equates is equivalent to low cognitive functional level. I think that's a huge and common misconception. And I think if parents realize that and you know kind of lead with that when they advocate, you might see a difference in the belief of other people and then that'll transcend to a difference in their approach with your child. And it's it's a very powerful thing. I've seen it you know I mean, Gabe is over here. I talked about this during our last podcast. He is over here verifying that he could uh, identify words off of flashcards. And nobody ever thought he could do something like that. I didn't sit down and teach him that. He picked it up along the way. But, you know, and, and, and signing certain things out of the blue. Just because they don't do it all the time doesn't mean that they're incapable so I think that's another huge lesson to take um for the this audience today is that there's a there I had a a a speech um I'm sorry an occupational therapist who had followed Gabe since he was a little thing until now and in one of her reports, she she said it spot on, and I, I'm going to damage it by not quoting it properly, but it was something along the lines, and it was 100% accurate. And she was the only person who had ever recognized this like we did. She said, you know, for the team to be careful because and to be mindful because it may not be a factor of ability but rather his willingness to do these tasks. And that's a huge thing to remember, that even though your child is severely affected by autism, they might just not be willing to do something. And it might be more difficult for you to see that with all the other, you know, um, all the other things in the background going on with them. And and if you just give them a little bit of time and keep supporting them, you may see and you will see eventually their true potential. But we have to nurture that for them. 
you know, the outings, the events. All I could say is try. That's the best that you could do. You you won't know unless you try. Um, I'm not trying to discourage anybody or scare anybody into like not trying or to justify why it's hard to try. I mean, it's 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 hard. It's hard as heck, and there's no way around that when it comes to severe autism. But you might actually find something that your child actually enjoys, and you might not even know it. It could be like a first outing when they're 12 years old or 18. You might be there and have never really attempted because of whatever your reasons are. Again, no judgment, but you might be pleasantly surprised and find what works for your kid, what makes them happy, what they're willing to participate in. And the only way that you'll know is by trying. So I would suggest to take a look at the things that are out there that are available and be brave. It's about being brave. It's about just stepping out of our comfort zone. And as the parent, you will know pretty quickly if it's something that's for you or not. And I know it's hard to see when um, other um, people have kids that it's it's not as hard. It's It's just again human nature to feel a little bit um sad that your child doesn't easily participate in things sometimes i know that's how i feel with gabe and i've had my own personal battles with well should the other kids get to do it is it fair to gabe is it fair to then them and i have to weigh that pretty heavily and i've learned that every you know there's always a moment there's always a way for him and it really it's all about the energy and the investment and um then I learn if it's going to be worth our while but I've gotten a lot better about being more open and more brave to try things but there's some things that I won't just because I've already tried and I I know for a fact that it's something that isn't the right situation for him and I do care about you know, especially in our community, when other kids are are getting something out of it, when it's our autism community. And it just tells me that, you know, with the organization, it, it, it sheds some light on what things to create to make it all inclusive. And even if that means separate little groups here and there, that's okay. I think the the larger factor is that every child gets an opportunity to fit in somewhere. And finally, that's that's the last thing. It's all about helping our kids with severe autism to fit in the world in some way. And it's not fair to them to not be mindful of that. Um, so I encourage everybody to be mindful of that. If you're uh, you know, when again, things resume some bit of what they used to look like, uh, going to a restaurant, to a movie or whatever it may be. If you see a parent there struggling with a kid who's mounting down, who's maybe, you know, um, has their ears uh, covered with headphones or their hands or they're attempting or maybe are already banging their head on the floor or a wall or, you know, yelling out and you see this parent 
doing something that doesn't look like what you traditionally see a parent do with a a young child's meltdown or a tantrum, suspect that it could be a, a meltdown of a child with autism, perhaps a child with severe autism, and don't stare. Maybe if there's somebody else around you passing judgment, maybe say something like, that child might have autism, you know, and plant a seed because it takes a village. It takes the world to make a difference. It takes one person acting in a kind manner and that can go such a long ways and it could come back to my home or anybody else's home with a child with severe autism and be the difference that that parent, that that caregiver needs, that that child needs to be strong enough to go out and find where their kid fits in to this world. So thank you once again for tuning in to this podcast. Um, Today, we just talked a bit about, you know, I just wanted to shed some light on our, our, severe autistic children that are a little bit more isolated than the rest that don't participate often and I wanted to shed some light on the reasons behind that and to um, you know overcome and clarify some of the confusion between those terms Um, non uh, high functioning sorry and low functioning or mild to moderate, moderate to severe are terms that reflect a ability that is um, outwardly understandable, but our kids have so much more depth. So with that, have a wonderful week and stay tuned to our next episode here. I'll be covering another topic related to autism this week. I hope you guys are staying safe. Wash your hands. Social distancing. Don't forget those masks either. Thanks for tuning in to the Half of It podcast with Steph.